Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 212 for Monday, September 26th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is the man with the power, my friend Johnny, also known as Pixelworths. Hello, sir. Hello, I do have power, unlike Joel this weekend. Um, and if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. So, uh, yeah, long story short, unfortunately, our September patron hangout had to be postponed because Hurricane Fiona, latterly Tropical Storm Fiona, left Joel without power over the weekend, along with most of Nova Scotia, it sounds like. And we'll be looking to reschedule the patron hangout so patrons should stay tuned to the discord announcement channel for updates but if you want to join our patrons and get an update about what happened to joel this weekend then the render distance is there for you uh, our next quarterly hangout is also planned for october 8th and that should be going ahead as planned barring any more tropical storms that happen to go in either of our directions uh, so maybe put that in your diaries now if you want to check that out that'll be the week ahead of minecraft live which we'll also be trying to cover on live stream and restreaming as we've done in previous years. So there's a lot in the calendar for October. It's looking like a good month. So uh, stay tuned for further announcements in the Patreon Discord if you're listening in from that community. The memory of a 2021 busy October is coming back. I oh, yeah. remember uh, between Minecraft Live and all of our you know extra Patreon uh, hangout stuff, it, it tends to be a, a very busy month. It uh, sure is. I, do not have anything new to report in Minecraft. There is no Minecraft, only Zool. Well, <laughs> Fiona, but same, same. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, so long story short, uh, I lost power this weekend. It was a pretty uh, heavy storm, lots of damage around the province. I'm okay. Family's okay. Friends are okay. Most people in the city basically lost power for 36 to 48 hours. Uh, it's more the rural areas and other parts of Nova Scotia, like Cape Breton, and then other provinces like Newfoundland that hit, got hit a lot harder with the surge. So uh, a quick Google search with CBC and, and post-tropical storm Fiona will get you there. Uh, but thank you to everybody. Uh, I had a number of, of folks from our Discord, the Spawn Chunks Discord, as well as my own personal Discord, reaching out and sending messages, which I could not receive because <laughs> I, I had no internet either. Um, so I couldn't even check online. My my 5G was, was spotty at best. But via Alistair, uh, well wishes were relayed uh, and then read later when I was able to log in on Sunday night. And I very much appreciate it. So thanks to everybody that, that reached out. But everything is okay. Family and friends are all all happy and healthy and uh, have not blown away. So that's good. But I have not done anything in Minecraft. I haven't logged in for like a week. Uh, because in addition to Fiona, Satisfactory also had a launch last Tuesday. So I was really focusing on update six mm -hmm. during the week thinking that i could log in on the weekend fingers crossed and then that didn't happen <laughs> so yeah. so johnny what's new in your world in minecraft well um i had perhaps not quite the disaster that you've had but i i had a bit of an issue with my internet earlier this week and wasn't able to stream on tuesday like i normally was and then my father-in-law came into town and uh, my schedule has been a little disrupted since then just making sure he's comfortable and everything uh so yeah i i didn't get too much done on streams like i normally would but luckily i had a bit of time to play this weekend i have built an aqueduct in the meantime because my empire on empires smp needs to have some ancient architecture around and i figured if i'm kind of evoking ancient civilizations an aqueduct is a pretty straightforward way to telegraph that um so i've started building a bunch of archways and last week i was talking about building with the golden ratio in mind i decided to space out the pillars of these 
aqueduct archways according to the Fibonacci sequence. So I have one section that's three blocks apart and then five and then eight and then 13 and then it mirrors it from there so it goes back to 13, 8, 5, 3 and those are just the, the, the gaps between each of these pillars. So overall I don't know if it necessarily adheres to the golden ratio perfectly because the centers of the pillars are going to be kind of off but it's at least like the spirit is there. And I wanted to have some way of plotting it out that wasn't just like an even amount of pillars and it kind of makes it look a little bit more interesting. So that's in place. I don't really have anywhere for it to go yet. So I need to do a bit more research into the actual infrastructure around uh, aqueducts because I know there's like a water tank at one point that stores all of the water for it to be distributed from there. And I need to figure out how that's going to fit into the, um, the, the landscape along with a reservoir for it to flow from and that kind of thing. In the meantime, though, I've been thinking a bit more about the farming infrastructure in the area, and maybe this aqueduct is there to irrigate a lot of the farmland and whatnot, but I've been working on ways to incorporate frog lights into the natural plant life of the Empire, uh, because a lot of the time in the Empire's situation, we don't tend to use the nether all that much for the world-building side of things. The overworld is where everything is it's where everything is connected nobody has a nether empire or an end empire so we're mostly doing stuff in the overworld and since my frog light farm is very out of the way in the nether it's in a basalt delta about you know a thousand blocks away so there's not really any chance to go and visit it and have it feel like part of my empire it's more of a satellite operation i decided well why not create something that makes it feel like we're growing frog lights naturally as part of this empire at home so i've started a frog light orchard is what I'm calling it. And I've got a couple nice. of custom tree designs that have the frog lights hanging in the leaves as though they are just big chunky fruit in a kind of like, you know, apple of the Garden of Eden kind of way, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I, I started out with the ochre frog lights because they have that natural golden kind of glow to them that I think works really well for the other stuff that I'm theming my empire around. Again, golden ratio and golden this, golden that. I think it kind of makes sense. So I'm starting with those and putting little kind of almost seedlings and saplings around some of the areas of the central part of the empire where a lot of the builds and stuff are. And that gives effectively a lamppost kind of vibe to it whilst feeling like there's this glowing tree every so often. And then further out beyond the giant road that I was building last time, I've got more of an agricultural area where I've got a wheat farm with you know, dry stone walls and stuff around it. I've got a sugarcane farm out there, all manual so that I'm not treading on anybody's toes when it comes to their empire's exports. I'm just, you know, putting a, a simple sugarcane field down, that kind of thing. And then adjacent to that is going to be the orchard where all of the, the frog-like trees grow. And I'll probably work in ways of getting the verdant frog lights and the pearlescent frog lights growing. And maybe some lore around how those have been maybe crossbred or cross-pollinated or something to produce the different varietals so yeah I'm, I'm kind of working on like a an organic way of incorporating frog lights into the world without it necessarily giving away the mechanics behind it in minecraft that's really cool i like the idea of a frog light orchard and having not seen any pictures or video i was thinking more like almost like a pumpkin patch Mm. but hanging from trees is interesting too yeah i'll try and get some screenshots of it for our show notes because i I've, I've not been taking screenshots of it too often here but yeah there's there's a couple of other things i've got in the works that are going to be related to this but i wanted to have uh yeah a, a big orchard nearby i'm probably going to try and put a vineyard up on a hill nearby and have like 
you know, whatever the closest Minecraft equivalent is of grapevines on the mm. slopes of that hill as well. So, yeah, kind of giving that that ancient Greco-Roman kind of feel of everything being grown outside in this very natural environment. I kind of like the the vibe of that. I imagine a combination of berry bushes and mangrove leaves would be good for that. Although you're in a savanna biome, right? Yeah, yeah. So the leaves mm. are uh, the the leaf color is an interesting option but uh yeah I, I f i'm finding that the the more golden leaves i'm, I'm using mangrove leaves for the the frog -like trees and they go quite well with the ochre frog lights for now uh, i might maybe use some of the the greener leaves the ones with fixed colors like um azalea or birch or something for the other trees with the different types of frog lights in but then mm. yeah if, if i'm using something else for grapevines i've seen people do good stuff with berry bushes i've seen people do stuff with um the two tall rose bushes as well so there's there's potentially some options there and i'm not going to be looking at it for too long it's just going to be background detail really do you think having built something like this that one of the things that they could have done with frog lights would be to vary the light level from the different kinds of frog lights or do you are you happy that they're all full light level 15 i think i'm happy with them all being full light level to be honest i i think it would be kind of cool if it was like maybe 13 14 15 or something like that but then it's not it, it's so minute a difference that it really makes no difference i yeah. think to really have a good spread of them one of them would have to be a really low light and it doesn't really make sense for any of the textures because they all seem like quite bright blocks if you're just looking right. at the texture on its own. So yeah. it'd be kind of difficult to convey that in a way that really made sense to me. What if all of them were just like light level nine or something? Like somewhere I mean, in the middle. It could, it could work out that way, yeah. And especially with light level nine being so much more useful than it used to be. I think we're still, exactly, yeah. we're, we're still working with this notion that everything has to be light level 15 to be maximally useful to the player, which is true. But I do think there's a bit more wiggle room now that they've reduced the light level for mob spawning. Yeah, I just think it would be neat to look out over that orchard at night and not have it look like a city street. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like have it look more like something more subtle. In the in the same way that, you know, the appeal of fireflies was like it was this dim kind of sparkle as opposed to a bright lantern. Yeah. And and I think that could be that could be very cool. That it sounds like a really interesting concept. I really enjoy when creativity like this comes into the game where people are taking things that are not plants or are not, you know, innately meant to be, you know, either organic or I guess man-made and flipping that around. So like taking leaf blocks and making them look like they're part of a wall or vice versa, taking, you know, something that's not organic, I guess frog lights are sort of organic, but like something that's not necessarily found on trees in Minecraft and making it look like it's meant to be. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun to mess around with that stuff. I was almost kind of inspired by, the um bioluminescent flora you find in games like no man's sky that are going in a more sci-fi mm -hmm. direction yeah. but obviously with this being a more fantasy kind of vibe it's not like you know I i'm not i'm not breaking these things down for carbon or whatever you do in no man's sky yeah. like I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of it a bit more like a, an ancient civilization cultivating these things and maybe experimenting with the best ways to grow them if anything i i'm imagining this orchard looking a bit like the way players plant their fruit trees in animal crossing where you have like a little orchard where you grab all of the fruit and you can sell it to people who visit your island and that kind of stuff there's there's mechanics in there that i think i'm going to take a a little bit of a cue from but yeah I'm, I'm enjoying it so far it's a nice little agricultural project and something that feels organic but still organized 
is what I'm after. And then once all of that stuff's in place, I can start to make it feel like it's grown wild because nobody's been maintaining it after the civilization fell. And, you know, you can start to build in a few more of the um, the, the kind of lore touches, the world building touches that are inherent to what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, that's always fun. Like adding, the, it takes time to add those details, but when you've got them all in place and everything feels cohesive and there's a sense of history, it always feels good to walk away from. Like it feels good to back up and go like, okay, that that feels like it's been there for a long time or there's now elements of that incorporated in other things in the area. And so you can kind of see how people, civilizations would have used the land or used the, the things that were available to them in the current, or in the, in the builds that are either old or older or ruined or however you know you want to break things down yeah the, the other thing i'm doing now is trying to figure out where i want to keep the natural acacia trees of the savannah biome that i'm building in and i like acacias because they have a variety of shapes they're not just like one squat kind of tree or one massive oak tree like there's there's a bit more variety to them so I've kept a couple of those in when I've been building the farmlands. I've kind of been building the farms around them. And if they break sight lines and if I want to try and build stuff around them, sometimes I'll just move one over, but I'll regrow a natural acacia tree there instead of building something custom because the acacia trees are actually like, they're, they're quite aesthetically quite nice. So I, I might try and build some stuff that feels like a natural extension of that tree style so that it feels like I don't have to do as much work clear cutting everything around me to build all of the custom trees. Aside from the new biomes, I would say Savannah is the biome that I have spent the least amount of time in. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I like I know what an acacia tree looks like, but I only know it to chop it down for wood. Like I don't <laughs> I don't think about decorating with them because I've just I've not tried to live in the brown savanna for any yeah, time. Yeah, that that's the thing that puts everybody off is the grass color, the leaf color, and it's hmm. it's like Mesa can get away with it and desert can get away with it because the terrain around you is not grass and trees. It's typically sand and the terracotta colors in the Mesa. Yeah, and, and that's novel. Yeah, provides a, a very different environment. And then if you put any grass down, you immediately go, oh, no, why did I do that? And you go back to, <laughs> you know, whatever else. Or moss in, in the, the newer versions of the game. But I think, um, yeah, Savannah's been an interesting challenge for me. But it, from the beginning, it sort of worked out for the notion that this area is older and has kind of withered over time and has been less maintained. So nobody's out there watering their lawns, you know? Mm. So it makes sense that there is less greenery building there. And it makes the areas which are that lush green color more significant. They're eye-catching to the player because they mm -hmm. think something is preserving the you know the the soil the water whatever it is here and it's and it's working which is why i have moss and a bit of that kind of terrain around the outside of the catacombs that i'm building because the the impression is maybe the soil there is more fertile it's being sustained in a more mystical or magical sense that's allowing it to stay green when everything around this has has withered a little bit and dried out See, that would be an interesting challenge taking things like moss and azalea and birch and things that don't change color with the biome and then getting rid of all of your ugly grass in a savannah biome or a certain area and replacing either the grass with like coarse dirt or mud or other things that we have mud bricks and then cultivating like you know lawns or gardens or things and having them be you know attached to streams or water sources and then adding all the really lush green stuff contrasting quite heavily what the area outside of the settlement would look mm -hmm. like that would be a fun project actually yeah reskin the whole biome like give it a yeah. try I, I think it's a really fun project in the same way that people reskin you know mushroom island biomes to have no mycelium and be all the green grass and like, right there's some some really neat terraforming projects in it if you feel like giving it the time 
Well, moving on to the news this week, we do have a tidbit. The Bedrock Edition update 1.19.30 is now available. We'll have a link to the article on Minecraft.net in our show notes. The update includes vanilla parody tweaks for general gameplay, mobs, and the experimental spectator mode, performance and stability fixes, including several crashes and issues with cloud syncing, a whole host of other bugs fixes, all of which are available in the changelog at Minecraft.net. Music is now also included in the mobile app version of Minecraft and no longer has to be downloaded from the Minecraft marketplace. Yeah, I figured it was worth including this in the uh, in the show notes this week. It was it, it felt like a, a smallish update and the community's focus is really on waiting for Minecraft Live right now. It's pretty quiet on official channels generally. But um, yeah, th- there was just a, a longish list of bug fixes and various sort of small bits and pieces. So I didn't feel like we needed to include the whole thing in the show notes. But hopefully Bedrock players are enjoying the, the, the rollouts being a little bit more regular right now. And it seems like they have a pretty solid fix on you know a a good handful of stuff the biggest complaint i'm still seeing from bedrock edition players is one that's very easy to share on places like reddit or twitter because you can clip it when it happens um there's this error that takes place in player position and fall damage calculation or something like that which results in players taking sometimes fatal damage just from pillaring up or occasionally jumping up a block because there's some kind of desync between where the game thinks they are and how far it thinks they've fallen the momentum that they've had when they've like come down from a jump and uh yeah people people pillar up and then out of nowhere they just they die uh, so that's that's a little bit rough and i've seen people calling for that to be fixed when there have been recent changes like this well that would eliminate any kind of hardcore play like yeah yeah that's that another reason i think no, they haven't implemented right? hardcore in bedrock yet it's because yeah. there's too many accidental ways to die yeah uh, i mean i think more parody news between java and bedrock is always a good thing players mm-hmm. are always asking for it from what i can tell in our discord and the discussions between bedrock and, and java players and uh, i think the less hopscotch that has to happen when you're trying to describe what's happening in one version and how it's different in the next is good so i yeah. you know i think reporting it and making sure people know that it is not all happening at once but it's always nice to see progress is, is a good thing yeah uh, but aside from that it's pretty much all quiet on the news front i expect we're going to see a couple of videos building up hype for minecraft live once october rolls around and i want to remind everyone that last year we only got the mob vote nominees in the week leading up to minecraft live being broadcast on the saturday so i'd expect a similar approach this year we're probably not going to see uh tiny and uh, tiny agnes and tiny jens for uh, a couple more weeks here i'm looking forward to it i i really am looking forward to those little cartoons i find them very well made even though they don't give a lot of information i do find them charming so um that that will be fun when that starts to happen do do we remember um, we should know we reported on it but the the mob vote is happening is it 24 hours before yeah it's basically it's yeah the vote's not all week it's just the 24 hours ahead of yeah it's opening a day ahead of the final announcement and um you're going to be able to vote in three places it's either on minecraft.net in the java minecraft launcher or on a special bedrock edition server that they're setting up to allow players to log in and vote so it seems to be that they're tracking it based on actual player activity rather than just a twitter poll this year which yeah we talked about last time and i think is a very smart way to uh to Mm -hmm. to cover the vote well and every vote is linked to a loggable minecraft account right so that makes 
That makes sense to me. A little bit harder to bot vote and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, still looking forward to that as we roll into October. In the meantime, let's roll into chunk mail. Um, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. I expect there will be a flurry of emails right after the Minecraft Live announcement. So if you have any burning questions or things you want discussed on the show, once again, keep them short and sweet. But it would be great to get a couple of emails before we head on into October here. The first email comes in from Mr. Smiles with the subject, Archaeology Elder. Hey guys, love the show. Just building off of the topics and ideas you guys were talking about in the last episode with Dr. Christie. What if a village elder was introduced into the natural generation of villagers? This villager would start out only having a single trade in where they would only accept biome-specific artifacts, desert artifacts or pot pieces to a desert village elder, and reward the player with a blueprint or recipe unlock to make that pot, sticking with the pot example, out of clay balls, etc. I think this would fit into a new narrative of preserving a village culture while give a, giving positive feedback to the player for doing so. This would also scale pretty well, one pot made of specific artwork, artifacts for a new blueprint, etc. On the flip side, if you were to dig up or touch a forbidden item, any time you touch that item you'd receive bad omen, then be more or less forbidden from going near the village for a time. Curious what you think. Mr. Smiles learned how to make paintings from the generous village elder. I really like how the tagline expands this entire email into the realm of new intentionally made paintings by players. Yes. Not just pots. Like mm -hmm. I know pots were the example that they used because that's the example that Mojang used on stage uh, when they talked about archaeology. But I, I just like the idea of all kinds of decorative things, pots, paintings, uh, anything you can hang on a wall, sconces, like just you name it, the kind of things that people are champing at the bit for in Minecraft to tie that to something like archaeology where you have to find the plans for it or find the artifact, a, a broken uh, thing, like a broken pot or a, a broken pillar or other kind of uh, wall attachment or smaller, you know, decorative item. Uh, even if it's just a different flower vase, considering we only have the one pot right now. Like, I feel like that would open up a lot for players searching, players interacting with, the village elder, which again, I like because it's pre preserving the culture as we talked about with Dr. Christie. And I think for me, the biggest change there is like, it changes that gameplay mechanic of like, there's a new block. Here's where you find it. If you want a lot of it, you're going to have to dig it up. And by digging it up, you're going to leave a giant hole where it was. And it's going to be a hard thing for players that might really like the look of where it was like a geode, you know, yeah. where you might want to keep the geode, but then you want amethyst so then maybe you have to, you either have to wait and harvest the amethyst crystals or go find a geode somewhere where you don't care about and still leave a giant hole in the world and i think there's an interesting kind of play there where there is going to be consumables used to make the thing from the blueprint but they're probably going to be recipes with stuff you already have like i can't see them putting the recipes for new clay pots behind some crazy hard to find you know, materials in the world. Mm -hmm. You might need one. Like maybe you need a specific blue or cyan dye to recreate a specific pot that you found in the jungle. But I think that most of what you have is going to be clay or stone or wood or things that you're just going to have a ton of anyway. So you're not going to have to go dismantle more of the world to reproduce this really cool new thing that you learned how to build. And I think that's a really neat twist on what's happening in Minecraft now. Yeah, I think it's... An interesting concept when it comes to gating recipes behind mechanics like this because you typically don't have many situations where 
you are limited in what you can craft by not knowing the recipe. A lot of the time, if you have the ingredients, you can craft something. And that's part of what's interesting about the idea to me is being able to unlock recipes that aren't necessarily, yeah, gated behind just going and finding an incredibly rare resource. Like, yes, you can't make a, um, like a recovery compass, for example, until you have eight echo shards and a compass. But if somebody brings you eight echo shards, it's not like you had to go and discover them yourself. You can still craft something. Whereas if you're earning recipes from interacting with a village, I think that's a really interesting mechanic. And if you keep them just aesthetic, so it's not necessarily like you're earning some endgame gear just from having got lucky and found a village, then I, I feel like it's still kind of kind of works and i do love the idea of a village elder i think villagers are so identical in their basic appearance you know professional clothes notwithstanding but i think adding villagers who are substantially different looking is actually quite a cool idea if you look at the way illagers are i think they're not wholly different in terms of their facial appearance but i think evokers maybe have different eyebrows or something like that and they are distinct in terms of their character by the way they behave and some of their outward appearance. But I think in stuff like Minecraft Dungeons, you start to see them really split apart. You have that Geomancer Illager in Minecraft Dungeons, and he's got thicker eyebrows, he's got a beard, he's got a different expression, still has the big villager nose and everything, but like there's, there's some substantially different facial features that you know work for the character's movement work for the kind of powers that they have i'd love to see a villager version of something like that and i think honestly having a, a villager who signposts different functionality by looking different you know so you you go up to this villager and it's pretty clear this isn't the kind of villager that you trade with the way you do some of the others it's a little bit different to experiencing a nitwit villager for the first time and not realizing that this guy in the green coat is never going to trade you anything like that kind of mechanic doesn't really make sense on an intuitive level you just kind of have to poke the guy until he real you realize that he's not going to do anything whereas if you walk up to a village elder and they go huh and they i don't know the, an icon pops up that shows you a pot or something like that then that's going to be something completely different from all of the other villagers around them also, a pretty good incentive to not lock a villager in a box, you know, in a respect your elders kind of way, but also in a way that, you know, it's not going to benefit you to have this villager around to trade a bunch of emeralds for existing gear and items and stuff that you can get other ways. Like, I, I think it's got it's got potential, an idea like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm on board for a Papa Smurf villager. I'm not sure about you, but I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm down. I, I think that one of the things that I find so monotonous about the villagers is that they all sound the same. They make the same noise over and over again and they all look the same. Like they just, it, it become, I mean, I know they have different outfits depending on their occupation uh, or profession, but I feel like they could do a little bit more like the character designer in me cringes at how homogenized they all are. Yeah. And I mean, even I can understand from a certain perspective why they'd want to keep them all looking the same. But I think that you could even do something as simple as having a couple of height variations, you know, yeah. um, having a couple, you know, having having farmers be a little bit shorter and stockier, having librarians being tall and skinny. You like just, you know, they're tropes. But like, you know, I, I would say that it would be a lot easier 
to discern because like when you're designing characters for like a comic strip or something like that you want everything to be very recognizable in silhouette like you immediately want to go person alien monster and just know exactly you know who what you're looking at and and i feel like with if you put all the villagers in silhouette mm, i'm not going to be able to tell them apart because it all depends on their their pixelated textures for their clothing right yeah every now and again there might be a belt thing or or something um and perhaps what they're standing near you know if they're near you know a blast furnace or something like that that might tip you off but i i feel like they could do a lot more and i guess uh, there are some hats there are some hats that that change farmers have, have hats uh i feel like do the fishermen no yeah, it's this, the librarians have monocles fletchers cartographers have monocles fletchers yeah. have like the little hat with the feather in it there's there's it's a few subtle, though. yeah a, f- a few subtle changes and i i do think part of the value in that is knowing that you can change one villager's profession like knowing that like the the librarian mm. isn't locked into being a librarian and they go back to being that basic villager without radically changing their appearance i think one of the things that's really jarring about some resource true, packs yeah. like some some texture packs out there and me and zloy xp did a very funny video about this a while ago funny because he was directing it and it was hilarious not because i'm trying to, to trying to be like i was so funny in this video but um <laughs> we, we went through a bunch of different resource packs on the bedrock edition of the game that had different villager textures some of which were just again the same approach that vanilla minecraft takes where you reskin the same villager model and the same villager expression but some of them radically changed what the villagers looked like and they all had different facial expressions and so it means that you're turning this like lady who was selling you books into like this old man who's working with steel and some of that stuff just feels kind of jarring from a mechanical perspective when you're like all i wanted was for this lady to trade me a different resource and then you know radically changes their their appearance and i i don't necessarily see that as a good thing because it it kind of takes you out of the world and being like i'm transforming these people too much Uh, and i i do wonder if it um makes sense for a a villager a village unit to have a villager that looks so different to signify this villager will only do one thing and one thing ever but if there's only one type of village elder then it's not like you're trying to re-roll their profession for different traits or something like that you just kind of have to take what you get from that guy and i think that could be almost like a return to old villager mechanics but in a way that adds value to the existing experience by making that villager something significantly different i i'm sure that there's probably villager animations that have been tweaked because we've talked a lot about better animations quote unquote with mods for animals and different you know other aspects of minecraft i'm assuming that someone has also tweaked like villager animations and like to give them like facial expressions and because i i don't mind the villagers so much in like the minecraft cinematics i find them kind of goofy and fun and like they the 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 gag that they run around with their hands in their sleeves and they trip over stuff and they still don't put their hands out to stop themselves like that kind of stuff Mm. you know you could have some fun with that but uh i i think that there's um there's a lack of personality that comes with the i guess homogenized villager kind of like offering we have right now and i think some of the things that i see in those minecraft trailers specifically the the latest one with all the dancing and the head bopping and stuff like that i feel like that's the kind of thing where i don't want villagers dancing around necessarily but i feel like having those kind of animations could be distinct because you could change the way an, a villager animated without changing their physical appearance so you wouldn't have that jarring change 
you know, like if if you don't want to add a beard to this to this character and then have it magically disappear when you change them from an elder to a librarian, then you could at least make the elder move slower mm-hmm. or look like he moved older or she moved older. But I I don't know. I don't know if that would be just as jarring if it went back to like now it's a healthy farmer running around like I you know it's 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 a difficult thing I can see where you get into the weeds of it and it's not just a simple like yes we can do this right away um I do want to give a shout out before we move on to not so blue sheep and husband for their similar email suggesting a villager curator uh in their email idea the curator had a pedestal job site block and displayed your artifact on it that artifact block was then be something that you could not destroy. So it, it would be, if you tried to mine it up, it would be destroyed. So it became something that was precious and you couldn't repeat the process, that kind of thing. That's cool. I like that as a, a similar take on the idea. And it's good to know that our discussion last week got people thinking. So excellent stuff. Next email comes from Gabti, a landscape artist. And the subject is sight lines. Good morning, gentlemen. Recent patron here. Well, thank you very much. While listening to episode 192, Joel mentioned sight lines and building at a distance. It made me think, what are your thoughts about Mojang implementing a type of surveyor tool into the game to help with identifying Y levels, possibly block type of more distant structures? I would like a feature like this to assist in building structures of the same exact height or measuring that a new structure is say 10% lower or 30% higher than a distant mountain or building or feature. Speaking of Y levels, how do I interpret my player's current Y level? Is it based on the level of my feet or the level of my head? Thanks. Keep it up, guys. Gapti got sick and died from Y level induced vertigo. <laughs> We've all been there. And I never knew I wanted this until just now. But yes, I'm 100% on board with this. I've just built a bunch of pillars for this aqueduct I was explaining earlier. And I have the hardest time sometimes eyeballing whether I'm matching the height of neighboring pillars. If I'm a block higher up or a block lower down, sometimes I think I'm on level with the other pillars I built and then stepping away and realizing that I've built them all at like weird descending heights is just maddening. So I like this idea. It reminds me of a similar concept in Terraria where they have a ruler and because Terraria is all a side-scrolling thing in the third person you can measure out how many tiles in front of you and above you something is when you want to build stuff with more exact dimensions and that's an accessory that you have to find. You loot it from a a treasure chest that you find in the world but I think it's a, a really neat way of expanding your ability to build in that game in a kind of intuitive way and being able to measure stuff like that really really makes sense so matching the height of nearby stuff uh, especially at longer distances when you can't just like move over a couple of blocks and see like would i be able to walk on that i think that'd be a really useful tool for builders I agree. Uh, I am very often trying to match the roof heights, uh, walking back and forth between buildings and counting blocks to make sure that I'm starting the roof at three and a half or four and a half or whatever the other building is that worked out so nicely and I can't remember what it is. Uh, I currently use a tool in game called Mini HUD to display block light level on block surface with a flip of a hotkey. Uh, we'll have a link to that at curseforge.com. And it is a very robust, capable mod. I use it for something very simple. It's overkill for what I need it for, but it's just so simple to do this and so convenient to check light levels when you're trying to do like a dimly lit pub in a medieval setting and you don't want spawns, but you want the light level to be like one or two or three. It's hard to tell visually. So it's nice to have a mod like this. 
something like this in a mod I can see existing, it would not be easily incorporated into the RP of the game. It would be very much like a heads up tool like the F3 screen. Uh, but I would love to be able to look at the side of a block and tap a button and see that it's at Y level 63. And it wouldn't have to have the Y on it. You could just have a number 63. I guess the only problem there is like now that there's so many levels, like once you get up to the full height of the world, you're dealing with three digits and whether or not that's going to be clear on the side of a Minecraft block with only 16 pixels, I guess it would be okay. It would just depend on, I guess, the, the mod in this case. But one thing that I thought could be handy and could be more in-game would be to incorporate it into the spyglass. Uh, this doesn't really help for up-close builds, but if you're looking at something like a mountain or a uh, pillager outpost or something, and you're trying to figure out how tall it is, looking through the spyglass, if it gave you some sort of readout, like as you looked up or down, if there was some sort of dial that kind of rolled around and gave you some sort of like, you're looking at a block that's 112 blocks high, or you're looking at the top of this mountain and it's 200 blocks high or something like that, uh, would be an interesting exploration tool. It would give you an idea of how high you have to climb. Uh, it would let you know whether you're going to pass into places where water is going to freeze. Like I, all that kind of stuff could be really interesting in the spyglass. And I would argue give the spyglass more usability than it currently has for a lot of players. Yeah, having the spyglass is like an analytical tool i think is a really cool idea and mm. like, have, having a readout almost like you, you see in sci-fi movies or whatever where it's got you know a, a readout at the bottom of what stuff is i think that could be really cool obviously that feels a little too high tech for for minecraft but i do think there are ways that you could incorporate that that don't feel that way maybe yeah c combine it or enchant a spyglass or something like that so that you could have have a bit more uh, a bit more flexibility there I agree. I like the tagline too, uh, because it made me re remember my first time jumping off of Snake Mountain, uh, my very first Minecraft world into the safe lake below and having that pit of your stomach drop, just like you're on a carnival ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had, a, I mean, I had a big monitor at the time and still, it doesn't happen that often to me in Minecraft anymore, specifically because I think I have Elytra on, but I've experienced it in other games and it, it's it's rare. And once you get used to the game and the gravity and the way that you move around, it starts to go away. So it's one of those first Minecraft experiences that you can't really get back, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but it definitely reminded me of like the vertigo thing. Uh, something that I find is, is missing from Satisfactory, which I play a lot, is the like any altitude measurement whatsoever. You, really, you have to count the foundations to figure out how high you actually are. And even then you're basing it off of, well, I'm, I'm four or six foundations from the one that I placed, but is the one that I placed at sea level? No. Yeah, it's like, all so relative, you don't really, right? Yeah. It's all relative, right? You don't know. Uh, now, the, the nice thing in that game is that they have a building tool called zooping where you can basically place 10 foundations at once and they're eight meters wide. So it's 80 meters at a time that you can make a string. So if you have a tower on your left and you make one and make a tower on your right, the same height, you can just temporarily drag a couple of strings of blocks over in seconds and then build down from the top. Mm -hmm. And it, so it's very fast to kind of make things match in that way, which is good because the perspective in that game is a lot wider and harder to deal with than Minecraft. Minecraft, I feel like because everything is square, and because because the perspective of the player is is set a certain comfortable zone, you kind of intuitively can make things mirrored quite easily. Uh, whereas in Satisfactory, you have to do a lot more measuring. And and I feel like if if Minecraft could have some sort of guide, 
but again, like all of my all of my solutions to this are like UI stuff that fit way better in a sci-fi game, you know, where you have some sort of HUD, you know, that that mimics this thing. So I don't know how you would implement it in in Minecraft. Um, how do you feel like what how do you interpret the the player location level just so we can address that? Yeah, yeah, to, to cover to cover the second question here. Um the Y level as shown on the F3 debug screen is calculated as the block your legs are currently occupying. Um, I don't know if this is the same for Bedrock Edition, but it changed in Java a little while ago because they shifted the player's perspective, I think. There was this weird kind of like adjustment in calculation that made virtually no difference to players, but I think it's what allowed for them to add the more subtle change to your field of view when you crouch. I think it was something to do with that, why they had to re refactor some of this stuff. Um, but you can tell that it's the block that your legs are currently occupying because if you look at some of the other data on the F3 screen, there is targeted block data that tells you the exact grid coordinates of the block you're looking at. And if you look straight down, you'll see that the Y coordinate of that block is only off from yours by one. So yeah, you can tell from that that if you're standing at, in my super flat world when I was testing this earlier, I was standing at Y negative 60, and the block below me was at Y negative 61. So it's not the head height that it's measuring, it's the, the block that the player is currently standing in. And imagine it as though you're standing in a block of water. You know, your head isn't necessarily in the water, but your feet are occupying the water. And so that's really the block that you are standing in at the time. Yeah, I always think about it as, as you know, the block space. You know, like yeah. the, the the block space that you're occupying, and that would change if you went up uh, one block or half the height of the player up to your waist, or a little bit above that, I guess. Uh, and and that's how I tend to think about it. But I I always have to, you know, like when I'm measuring things out, you know, when I'm trying to figure out like where I'm standing and how I'm measuring things out, I never ever use the block I'm looking at to measure things. I think I just inherently trust the block i'm standing on more mm -hmm. for whatever reason uh and i think because you can get those um block sub block readings so like if i'm standing you know in block 1.5 1.5 i know i'm in the middle you know like i know i'm i'm on the block that i intend to be on um i find that that's easier to wrap my brain around rather than trying to figure out whether i'm vertically i mean like vertically it's a little bit different i just i just kind of go with like look i'm st i'm standing here which means this is the block i'm standing in and it's hard because of course the top of the block below you and the bottom of the block you're standing in share the same virtual space but they have two different y levels yeah when yeah you're, when you're talking about the fractions of a of a pixel that you go between the two but you just kind of have to say okay look well it i imagine any block space i'm standing in has a solid bottom giant quote you know, so that you're not, you're not technically, if you if, technically, if you stood on your apartment floor in a cardboard box, you'd be just a little bit higher than the floor, Yeah. but you'd feel like you're standing on the floor, right? It's like you're wearing shoes at the time and it's like, yeah, yeah you're lifted up from the floor ever so slightly. But yeah, it's, it's one of those frustrating things where there is a mathematical answer to this, but so much of it, we are just used to doing by feel as part of an intuitive experience of playing the game. So I can see where the confusion comes from, but Hopefully that's clarified some stuff for you. Um, I figured this week we could talk about the weather a, a little more. Um, <laughs> apropos of Joel's <laughs> recent brush with Hurricane Fiona, 
Um, this is a topic that's come up occasionally in discussions before, but I thought we could do a deep dive considering that we're on the walk up to uh, Minecraft Live and I felt like maybe throwing out some other ideas for future improvements to the game and systems that could be expanded. Weather has been the same in Minecraft since basically beta 1.5, with only some small changes like how sleeping affects the weather cycle recently, whether lightning strikes transformed certain mobs, a couple of commands that let you control the weather if you have cheats enabled, and stuff like powder snow collecting in cauldrons, right? So weather has not really seen a great deal of changes. I'm lumping clouds in with this as well, even though clouds are more of a setting that you can toggle on and off visually and they don't really affect gameplay all that much. And I thought we could do a bit of brainstorming, no pun intended, but we'll we'll get there, about um, what we could do, what, what Mojang could do with the weather and what the weather in Minecraft really needs to stand out as a feature instead of what weather is right now, a couple of gameplay mechanics and some mild inconvenience. What it needs is less rain. <laughs> I think that's going to be most people's answer, I think. Well, I, I say that not because I, I don't like it. I say it because of how frequently it happens now in 118 and the 119 update. Yeah. Uh, my stream joke now when it rains is like, who had less than 15 minutes for rain on the stream? Yeah. Uh -huh. Because you win, right? Because it's... um. It's, it's really frequent. Um, I'm sure it's probably less frequent than I think it is because I find it so annoying. Part of this is because as a content creator and because I'm trying to build intricate things, I find it gets very gray and hard to see. I imagine on the other end of a stream, it's also difficult to see what's going on. And I can't wait to sleep to get rid of the rain. It feels like it happens every 15 to 20 minutes in game. Uh, I, I say that probably knowing that it's more like once or twice it's probably twice an hour but then that might not always be the case so it probably averages out to less but there are some days when i log in where it really does feel like it rains every 10 minutes and the the bigger beef i have right now is that i don't get indications that it's a thunderstorm if it's a thunderstorm i know i can sleep and i can just switch the weather it's fine but it will be a thunderstorm without thunder so i'm thinking crap i have to wait 15 minutes for the sun to go down or 10 minutes for the sun to go down before I can sleep this rain away. And then I go to the bed and I, I happen to click on the bed a few seconds before I know I can sleep. And then it goes to bed and he's like, well, wait a minute. Like I could have slept 10 minutes ago if I had known this was a thunder shower. So that I find, I find quite frustrating and not, not to like throw shade at, at the people that are responsible for weather at Mojang. Cause I, I don't know who that is. Um, but I, I feel like this is really an overlooked uh, change in the recent change to the way that the bed, like the bed mechanics, because previously sleeping in a bed would ward off rain, for the lack of a better way to express it, right? Yeah, it, it basically reset the weather cycle to day zero, as though you've just logged into the world for the first time. And right. I think that basically meant that it wasn't going to rain for the next couple of days, at which point if you sleep the next night, it's basically perpetually not going to rain. Whereas now they've like decoupled those two mechanics so that you don't have the act of sleeping, even if the weather is clear, doing anything to what the timing is going to be of the next rain or the next storm. Yeah. So I like weather sometimes. I think the rain in Minecraft can be kind of soothing if you're in the mood for it. I just feel like when it's so frequent uh, and so difficult to interrupt that it becomes a nuisance. And I think a lot of times people just want to get rid of it, you know, for various reasons. 
But uh, I think to um, some of the points that you're going to get into, I think diversity would really help the weather in Minecraft. If it is going to stay as frequent as it is, then I think maybe changing the intensity of it or changing the type of things that happen would be a lot better than just the exact same thing every 20 to 30 minutes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think ultimately what the weather needs is layers. It kind of needs more combinations of stuff because if you think about the variety of weather patterns we can have in all parts of the real world, it's like there's a lot more variety there. And a lot of it is down to different things. It's not necessarily just is it raining or not. Like, it's there's, you know, atmospheric pressure and like all sorts of stuff creating different types of clouds. And, you know, fog is really just like a low lying cloud, but then there's some of it that is, you know, it's more common closer to coastlines and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of ways that that could be more complicated without necessarily providing a huge amount of extra value for players. What I think we need is just more combinations. So, Right now we have three static states, which are clear, rain, and thunder. And then if you add a couple more things to that, let's say we add breeze, we add fog, and then we add heavy rain. And that's a separate thing from normal rain. And you allow those to combine in various ways, you end up with a lot of cool combinations. So like, say a breeze could be, like, I'm saying breeze rather than wind, because... I feel like whenever people implement wind in mods and stuff like that, they want to implement a wind that's like it's blowing players around and there's a chance for trees to fall down and that kind of stuff. But I'm imagining breezes being light enough that they don't affect player movement, but maybe leaf particles start to fall from leaf blocks. There's objects like banners that flap more obviously in the wind. There aren't that many things that have that implied physics of, of the wind moving through them, but there is potential for, for things like that to happen. Um, and it might also help at that point if they introduce new objects that are affected by the wind. So, like, you could imagine a copper weather vane that increases a redstone signal depending on wind direction or wind intensity or something like that. So there are ways that that can be worked in mechanically that make it kind of fun, and ultimately it doesn't really affect the player whether or not it's windy on the day they step out of their door to go mining or whatever. Um, then you have stuff like fog, which is a tricky one I, I will appreciate because you don't necessarily want it to be foggy if you're building stuff and you want to you know work with a higher render distance so that you can see further and fog is just going to interrupt that it's either going to bring the distance fog in from outside or it's just going to decrease visibility in general it's going to wash out some of the colors around you or something and that makes things a little difficult so I can see that one being more controversial but if you're creating atmosphere, if you're using it for horror builds or something like that, or a horror map, I think that's a really interesting way of presenting that atmosphere with relatively little the player has to do in terms of implementing resource packs that will do it for you or something. And then if you imagine heavy rain being not necessarily heavier in terms of the visual aspect of it, maybe you Im increase the size of the particles that are dropping or something like that, but then heavy rain leads to maybe cauldrons fill up kind of faster you could have heavy snow that does the same thing and accelerates powder snow accumulating in snowy biomes in, in cauldrons and then if you add to all of this stuff you end up with heavy rain and rain together and it's an absolute deluge it's like monsoon season has started and then you can have maybe a clear day but still a little bit of rain is falling like there's a sun shower and maybe a rainbow appears or something like that 
I think there are combinations of these things. And once you add more individual states, you end up with a whole variety of combinations. And it's like a combination lock where the more options you have, the harder it becomes to get the same result twice. I do think that's a an option for evolving Minecraft's weather a little bit. And you end up with lots of cool combinations. That said, while each of these weather patterns would be kind of cool, I think people would prefer that the majority of the weather was still at least clear or you know at least not raining and maybe the breeze is going to be a more popular option at that point but rain like you said still feels like something players want to get rid of and it's still the kind of thing that if it's affected by sleeping or if it's uh, affected by other aspects in the world there are definitely going to be some things players prefer and some things that are only circumstantially preferable like in the case where they want to create some atmosphere in there horror map or you know you, you want to have a a cyberpunk city that you're building where like if it's raining it just kind of adds to the mood that kind of noirish feel so there's there's potential for it to irritate players but i do think it's a, a system that could do with expanding i think one of the solutions for potentially irritating players would be to add some sort of gameplay mechanic in there so if it's something where it's going to be heavy rain like rain downpour or thunderstorm tie in some cool game mechanics. I mean, thunderstorms, people can go with tridents and charge creepers and do fun stuff like that. But what could you do in the rain? What could you do in a downpour? You know, uh, and then have the things that don't have any gameplay attached to it be like light rain or sun shower or a rainbow and have that be cool stuff to happen around because it doesn't really mess with your visuals. Like it's just like, oh, it's happening. There's a little bit of a sound. The odd drop, I can see droplets on the ground, but maybe I don't have a lot of rain obscuring my view. Uh, maybe it doesn't dim the, you know, artificial lighting in Minecraft so much. Like maybe when it gets clouded over for rain, it doesn't go so dark. So you can still see what you're doing. Uh, you could have things like flurries, snowing, or a blizzard. Again, if you've got a blizzard and you can't really see, what's the benefit for the player going out in that? Do you only encounter a scary mob at that time? Like, can you not encounter it any other time, right? It's only something that you can find in a blizzard. Uh, maybe it's not a scary mob. Maybe it's a friendly mob that you want to find. I don't know. It's it's not the abominable snowman. It's the adorable snowman. There you go. You know, <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of stuff like that I can think of. Uh, I think, too, that you could add a little bit of variety to uh, just even normal sunshiny days. You know, you could have sunshine. You could have a clear day with absolutely no clouds. And then, as you mentioned, you could have windy. And I think that that brings in something that uh, I really like about, you know, Minecraft that adds a lot of life is any kind of movement. Anytime that you can add some sort of movement in Minecraft, it usually adds a lot of life, even if it's implied movement. So having things like they suggested a few years ago, like the tumbleweed proposed in the Badlands biome book, uh, I think would be cool. Uh, the idea of leaf particles falling, I think is great. Uh, and if you didn't like it, surely there would be a graphics toggle just like, you know, turn off leaf particles and weathers or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah to not tax the system or maybe the render distance on that is just not that far like maybe you have to be close enough to the tree to actually see the leaves before you can see the leaves falling so that you're not trying to look over your forest and have it be you know particles everywhere they did that with candles where the candle flame doesn't actually render unless you're within like eight blocks of it and i'm like why <laughs> it's, yeah, like... it's a little bit too close yeah, yeah i agree yeah. i agree with you there but i do think uh yeah having it be be distance based is potentially a good thing just for 
yeah like the, the tax on the system the rendering that it has to do the uh the extra work that some systems would be doing for sure but yeah i, I think that's that's one of the most compelling ideas is that i know people have wanted like falling leaves and the kind of gentle blowing of the wind to be part of it for a long time and i like the idea of a change to ambience the 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 wind actually adding a little bit of background ambient noise in the same way that the ambience from the nether biomes does and it being something that Right now, we're assuming that each of these continue on the current system where they trigger globally. But obviously, if you want to diversify things, having stuff that works for individual biomes is kind of the way to go, because that way you eliminate certain things happening in biomes where it's just not realistic that it happens. It already doesn't snow in deserts. Rain doesn't happen in the savanna biome that I'm building in currently. But I would like it to be foggy there occasionally, and I feel like that could add some kind of some atmosphere, a bit of mood, even a bit of light rain occasionally, as long as heavy rain is still completely out of the question. You know, I think there's there's mm -hmm. room for some variety in, in the biomes distribution as well. Oh, absolutely. I imagine like hot and hazy in the desert where you get that kind of heat wobble, you know, yes. in your vision. Uh, you can have uh, fog near the oceans. And you mentioned fog like render distance fog. And I think that there's a way to differentiate that. Like you could still have low lying fog. Like you could have, imagine, I mean, for a very simple effect, imagine Minecraft clouds, but just like at Y level 70, mm -hmm. right? You know, like you, if you're up high enough, you can see over the over the fog. That's a real thing. Like I, I see that all the time living this close to the ocean. And, and I think that that could really add some cool effects. And, you know, you combine that with, with other things. And I especially like that you brought up ambient sound because you could have wind on a windy day in Minecraft and have the only thing be a sound and it will feel windy. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to see things moving around. Just having the wind howl. Uh, I had a sound pack that I had installed that created a wind rush when you used your Elytra uh, in, a like, in a different way than the game already does. And I thought it was great because I would fly up to the top of my tower to give a, a you know an overview of West Hill. And while I was up on that tower, because I was higher in the world, there'd be a wind whistle because mm -hmm. of the the height difference. And I, I liked that kind of thing. I thought that was really cool. And it didn't really, it didn't blow anything around in game. It was just an audio change. And I think that you could add a lot of stuff there, especially if you start to think about like the kind of sounds that you would get uh, in say a swamp combined with like fog, some dim lighting, you get like frogs and crickets and like you, there, you could do some things with the weather biome specific for those special cases like swamps or deserts or things like that that i think would add add a lot um one of the things that i would really like to have in terms of wind is like you mentioned banners flapping i would love if they added proper horizontal flags uh yeah. because again it would it would give you something that you could have a specific block doesn't have to be everything but having a flag flap in the wind would just it would give the impression that it's windy everywhere even if the grass and the trees aren't blowing having one thing flap around would just give that illusion of movement and if you go 110 percent and make it like a three to five block long full-on banner then like there's a lot of happy minecraft players out there that would mm -hmm. think like that would be fantastic i don't know how you do it and have it look minecrafty like there's a lot of questions that i can't answer but i do like the idea i mean i'd be happy even with a banner that doesn't even move just, just like a straight out horizontal banner just to indicate wind direction is either left or right you know or i shouldn't say left or right you know northeast south or west uh, that to me would be would be cool because we've already got mechanics like you know when you're facing a certain way 
an anvil will pl will place in a certain orientation. And if you did that with a you know flag banner, and you just go around your town, make sure all the flag banners are pointing in the right direction, and it's going to look like your banners are caught in the wind. And mm -hmm. I, I think that would add a lot, you know, of implied movement, I guess, um, to not even get into moving things around. Um, out of curiosity, do you think that players would benefit from being able to control the weather directly? Would we benefit? Absolutely. Should we be able to? I think that's a different question because right. like, it would be great right now. Like On Empires, we set up a system a little while ago where we had the Thunder Shrine data pack from Vanilla Tweaks, which allowed me to start a thunderstorm anytime I wanted to because my stuff was copper and tridents and lightning rods were new and I wanted to you know, make sure I could play around with some of those mechanics. And then on the more recent season of Empires, we have a campfire set up at spawn that's rigged up to a couple of command blocks and if you extinguish the campfire a thunderstorm starts automatically and then you relight it or you extinguish it again it you know resets the weather and so we've set up ways that we can use that because thunderstorms are advantageous to the player you get charged creepers that way which means you can get mob heads there's other things you can do with thunder if it's raining you can fly infinitely with riptide without needing fireworks there are a few advantages in terms of gameplay stuff but the question really is does the player really like i don't know why deserve is the word that springs to mind but like you know does it make sense within the world of minecraft for the player to be able to control the weather or is that too like is that putting the player's power in a more cosmological place you know are you then ex extending your power too high into like manipulating the world around you i don't know if it's something that the player should be able to do on their own like it feels like it needs to come hand in hand with some other kind of mechanic whether it's you know, something you find in an ancient city that allows you to do it, whether it's a redstone thing that maybe allows you to predict the weather a little bit better instead of just changing it completely. Maybe, I, I've mentioned this who knows how many times now, but having a villager profession that you trade a lot of emeralds and maybe a totem to or something, and, and then that guy can change the weather. I like the idea of being able to do that, and especially if there are more weather conditions that can be generated and some of them are desirable circumstantially, I think it makes sense to give the player more control over that for creative reasons. But then I don't know if it really makes sense in the context of survival Minecraft where you are really meant to just be one player and what you do is manipulate the blocks around you, not the conditions of the world itself. So that's where my brain was going, was having something that would allow you to do that because we're enchanting weapons, we're using beacons to be able to mine these blocks faster. So I thought, what about something like a weather altar? where it would require some hard items to get to craft it. So, you know, end game kind of mechanics, perhaps take some sort of fuel, maybe it's XP, maybe it's an item sacrifice, something you don't get back, similar to a beacon. Uh, and then you could turn it off and similar to a beacon, have it affect a certain radius. So uh, already when I thought about this, I thought, you know, that would be complicated in a multiplayer situation if your weather was affecting a wide enough area that it would affect other players. You know, like walking into somebody's rainbow bright build and making it rain all the time would, be, would yeah. not be mm -hmm. desired by the other player. But if it's something that you can set up and, and say like, you know, and for that particular player that has the beautiful rainbow build, maybe they want it to be sunny all the time and they don't want it to rain. And to be able to set up something where they could just recharge this this altar or block or something to say like, no, let's let's not have the rain happen in this area because I have made the necessary 
you know, magical sacrifices. There's enough magic in Minecraft, I think, that, you know, that I don't feel like that is outside of the realm of possibility. Uh, I I do think that the the level of control the players have at Endgame, I feel like when you get into that stuff, the only thing left to do in Minecraft at that point is build and be creative. Yeah. And when you're at the mercy of rain every 10 minutes or, you know, not having fog when you wanted to make a spooky Halloween build, uh, I think it would be great, especially for like map makers or even just like those showcase builds where you want to make that spooky town and how cool with it, it would it be if there was mist like creeping across all of your graveyards all the time when players walk through it. Uh, I remember very specifically the transition from uh, west from um, I can't remember the name of the it's the main city Stormwind goes down into a different kind of biome and then it goes into Mirkwood or or um, not Mirkwood Mirkwood's in Lord of the Rings anyway it transitions into the spooky spider forest and everything goes misty and gray and your visibility goes down but it makes walking through there spooky mm. and it would be cool to have that kind of stuff in Minecraft whether that's a threatening forest that has extra spiders like we talked about a few weeks ago or whether that's um you know walking uh, creating something that the player can control and saying oh welcome to i mean you guys all have different empires on on the server how cool would it be if you walked into you know the um the the western empire and everything's all tumbleweeds and wind you mm-hmm. know or vice versa you know you walk into someone's creepy empire and it's all foggy and rainy and you know, like the mood would be set. And I, I feel like that that really helps for the end game stuff. I mean, I am an end game player, so that's where my mind is. But that's the kind of thing that I think would be really, really fun for the players to mess around with. For sure. Yeah. And and this this is also prompted a little bit by uh, there was a recent Reddit post by a user called Andre4054, and they suggested a change to clouds. And it occurred to me that clouds just have functioned the same way for a while, and the only change we've had to clouds really has been uh, increasing the height of them when the overall world height was increased in 118. And thinking about the the idea of fog rolling through an area, like you can do that as long as you have your builds at a certain elevation. But I think one of the more popular settings of something like Optifine is to change the height of the clouds, or some people, in even in vanilla, just remove clouds entirely. Because I don't think anybody really enjoys walking up a hill through the clouds. It always sounds better than it feels in practice. And it's because the clouds are hard shapes. And so instead of it sort of drifting in, you just immediately get hit with this reduction in visibility. And, you know, it's like a wall just hits you right away. And popping out of the cloud at the top or the bottom of it again just immediately changes things and it almost flickers if you jump up and down so i feel like that kind of thing it can't be eased in gradually because of the shape of the clouds and the way it's effectively creating these rendering bubbles almost but i do kind of wonder if there is room for clouds and stuff like that to change in tandem with a change in the weather and Andrew's Reddit post suggested a change where they react to the elevation and precipitation of local biomes, and they conform to a kind of cloud density map where they cluster around mountains and kind of build up against the hills, and then they burn up over deserts. And so there are effectively holes in the cloud map that clouds don't necessarily travel to. Um, and this looks cool in 2D. It's it's represented by a, a series of GIFs in the uh, 
in in the the reddit post where it shows the original way the clouds generate now and a couple of potential ideas for this kind of cloud density map and they sort of ramp up against the side of hills and then you know flow around them and i i like that and i i think it looks cool in 2d i'm not sure how it would work in practice because of like i said the kind of the hard wall that a cloud creates and also do the clouds just kind of disappear do they overlap with each other how does that like affect anything and i i'm kind of curious to see if anybody's done that with mods or anything like that in practice but if you're going to implement fog as a ground-based weather condition i feel like it can't just lay on so suddenly and it makes sense for it to drift in and out a little bit visually speaking but i don't think it's got it's got to be done in a more subtle way than a hard wall of cloud hitting you so i used to play without clouds at all in minecraft i think i brought them back because of the changes that they made to the cloud height and the world height with 118 but what i find is that when i look at clouds that are super realistic like in shaders it takes me out of minecraft like it doesn't really match so i feel like there's a really tough challenge to make like the minecraft blocky clouds which i prefer to the really realistic ones to do those weather patterns and i wonder whether realistic clumping of clouds in minecraft would just end up being like a like a big white sky like i don't know mm -hmm. that you'd be able to see much of the difference unless they added multiple layers like you get different layers of clouds in the real world i used to remember them as a like cumulus and cumulimbus and strata i can't remember all of them yeah but you know you have those like really high sheet clouds you get the low poofy ones uh it would be kind of funny to see like these really blocky kind of like toilet paper commercial clouds you know mm -hmm. floating by in minecraft that would be fully rendered in 3d they'd have to have some variations but like that would be that would be neat i have to say uh to see something like that um i like the idea of of clouds of rain clouds being gray like being able to look over at a you know a, a desert not a desert um a um, swamp biome and see that it's raining if you're close enough to render it in you know, and, and see the edge of the rainstorm happening there, you know, where the gray clouds stop and where the sunshine begins. Um, I know a lot of that leans more on like, you know, having shaders to see the effects and stuff like that. But that kind of atmosphere is really what I find missing from Minecraft. Like it's when I experience it in other games, I find it feels a lot more 2022, you know, more modern mm -hmm. gaming. Um, but um, one of the things that I did find was a nice solution was I played with no clouds and then I had a skybox that I believe Jimsy Boy had put out and it had more detailed clouds like rendered in kind of like along the horizon mm. but it was all pixel art yeah so even though they were more detailed it had different like levels of blues and whites but it was still very much roughly as your eye could discern the same kind of pixel like density that you would see on the blocks just at a much larger scale so it felt even though it had more resolution it still felt low res and i found that really worked and that combined with a night sky uh had you know um galaxies and and like milky way stuff like it was all kinds of really cool stuff in the night sky too which made the night more interesting to look at too we didn't even talk about that like you could have interesting phenomena you could have like the aurora borealis you know the northern lights happening in minecraft if they make weather changes i hope they don't i hope they wouldn't forget about the night sky too right yeah yeah there's there's a lot of 
a lot of different options that you can bring to that too there's you know it, it could once again layer up like i was talking before with there being you I, know yeah. a, a different vibe for the nighttime breezes and and night fog and and rainstorms that like i i feel like sometimes it's difficult to tell when rain happens at night whether you've got a thunderstorm or not and i feel like differentiating those to the player so they they feel kind of intuitively different is going to add a lot but yeah having the option for things like auroras and shooting stars and that kind of stuff even like there's just like little things that could vary things a little bit that i think would would make a whole world of difference but that, I think, is probably where we're going to have to wrap up our discussion for today. Uh, that's going to be it for this episode. At least you can find more information about the show and links to the st- some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, and you can continue the discussion from this episode if you feel like discussing it with your fellow minecraft fans you can also listen to the show live as it is recorded in discord pretty much every week and our monthly minecraft audio hangout which once again we had to reschedule is probably going to be coming up real soon for our patrons along with the uh quarterly hangout where we talk about the behind the scenes stuff for the podcast we're currently at 342 patrons which is up another one from last week so thank you so much to the newcomers for hopping on board and special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can find the Spawn Chunks on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. And that's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide and Empire's SMP. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You'll find links to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. That is at thecitadelcafe.com. And of course, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I've been streaming almost every day. I'm really enjoying Satisfactory Update 6. And of course, Lego every Friday. Optimus Prime has got arms and a head. Check it out. That's at twitch.tv slash Duggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and it's raining again.